0: Exodus chapter 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much of that, 250 shekels of fragrant uh, cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant cane, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hen, or like it's like a gallonish. a hen is like a gallonish of olive oil. And I, I know you don't understand shekels and all that stuff either, but um, so I'll get you a translation that'll explain that for you. And he says, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend. Check this out. A fragrant blend. The work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table, and all its articles. The lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all of its utensils, and the base in which it stands. You shall consecrate them, and they will be most holy. So he's saying, wipe oil all over these things, so they're set apart for purpose. And whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron. Now Aaron is the most famous of high priests. Okay, Aaron is is the 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 kind of picture of all high priests. He's kind of the first one, and so. Uh, So when we talk about Aaron, we're talking about the high priest, right? The, the, The highest priest, right? Word? All right. So anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Say to Israel, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on men's bodies. It's very good. Do not pour it on their flesh and do not make any oil with the same formula. It's sacred. And you ought to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it, and because it's going to smell real good. So whoever makes perfume like it and tries to sell something that's not it, whoever puts it on anyone other than the priest must be cut off from his people. So here's this oil that God says, I want you to make. And I want you, it's going to be a holy oil. Now, understand that this is different than the oils that they had. Now, oil in Scripture was a commodity, okay? It's like um, it's like uh, trying to think of a commodity in America. Bacon, right? That's a commodity, right? <laughs> Maybe not bacon, but milk, right? Milk is a commodity. You know, if you go to the store, like, you're going to get milk, right? They used to have delivery trucks to deliver, I oh, know, you don't have to drink milk, blah, blah, blah. I don't, yeah, we've we got 5,000 nutrition specialists in the room today. And so, it would be a commodity. It would be something that you can't really live without. In fact, we see this in Elisha. We see that with him and Elijah. They said, hey, we just have a little bit of oil. So after the oil runs out, we're going to die, right? Because we don't have the oil that is a necessity. It's a commodity. It's something that you just have. It's the staple of the culture. And so oil is symbolic in scripture of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is essential in our life. We cannot live without it. You can breathe without it. You can exist without the Holy Spirit, but you can't live without the Holy Spirit. Come on. You must have the breath of God, the pneuma of God in your life to live, to really live. You can exist. You can function. You can be robotic like the rest of the culture, or you can really live, but you can't live without the oil. And so the promise, we see we see this uh, through Scripture but most of the time. Olive oil is actually the oil that, that we talk about most of the time. In, in Scripture, this morning I brought me a, 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 a bottle of olive oil. How I many you know the olive oil is not cheap? It's not like Crisco, right? Crisco's cheap, lard is cheap, olive oil is costly. Are you with me? And so we see the very first time we we see, well, not the very first time, but one of the times in Scripture where we see this really emphasized as a Holy Spirit is when Noah was on the ark, right? And then he's, he's sending out the birds to see if they can land on something, right? And then bring something back. And then a dove, which is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit, comes back. And what does he have? An olive branch. So listen, the promise, we see the promise of the Spirit brings the oil. It brings the olive. It brings everything that we need. So when we have the Holy Spirit, we have the oil. We have this commodity that would be used for cooking. How many of you guys like to cook with oil? Or you like to buy things at the store that have been cooked with or the or the restaurant that's been cooked with oil. Yesterday I had some Parmesan chicken, and I know they used some good olive oil on there to get it all nice and crispy, right? Because oil makes a difference in the cooking. Come on. The other thing that oil is used for was such a commodity was lighting. They didn't have, you know, electricity back in those days, so they had lamps, not amps, but lamps, and lamps contained oil. And in fact, if they ran out of oil, they didn't have any more light. So they couldn't see in the darkness. The same way the Holy Spirit is illuminating us so we can see in the darkness. In a darkened world, we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's a commodity. We must have it to have a clear sight in a dark culture. We also see that, that the oil was used for healing. They would take those oil and they'd put spices and things like that. And we, we kind of have a resurgence of that in America right now. Everybody's selling their oil on Facebook. coming I mean, out what I'm talking about? And oh, just use this oil. You don't need you don't need those kind of drugs. You need these kind of drugs. Let me rub some oil on you, right? And so we, in Scripture, this is many call, times called a healing balm. And what they would do is they would make this thing. We see this with the Balm of Gilead. God said that I'm the Balm of Gilead. I'm the healing of a nation. And so many times, even when it says in James to anoint them with with oil, it's not just talking about anointing oil. It's actually talking about a medicated oil. It would be like, okay, let's take some ibuprofen and pray, right? So this is what he says in the book of James, and that's been debated among theologians, but most would agree, at least serious theologians would agree, that that's what that was. Um, But one of the things also about oil is oil helps things flow smoothly, right? Have you guys ever ran out of oil in your vehicle? Anybody? Now, I've never ran out of oil in my vehicle, but I heard what happens when it does. The engine locks up. And some of us, I feel like our engine is locked up because we don't have any oil in us. Come on, are you with me? The oil makes everything smoother. You got, you got a, a, a noisy sound on the hinges of your door. Your door is squeaking. Put oil on it. Right, put a WD-40 on it? Put something on there to make it function smoother. And this is what the Holy Ghost does in our life. He makes us function smoothly. And without the Holy Ghost, you're just kind of functioning, cranky, stiff, and robotic. When you bring the oil, it adds a flow to your life. So many com- many, many, many common purposes for this. Now, this oil, if you're talking about here in the Scripture, was a specific oil. It wasn't to be used for anything else. In fact, we see here, he, God said, do not use this oil. In fact, if you use this oil for anything else, if you go and try to make money on this oil, then you're going to be cut off. You're you're not going to be part of this house anymore. You should be cut off. God said this is a specific oil. Why? Because the oil that it's talking about here, the anointing oil, was, was for setting things apart for specific purposes. Everything in the temple was just an item until they smeared the oil on it. Then it became a holy item. And you were just a human. Until God smeared his oil on you, and then you became a holy human. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner who has been saved by grace. Now you're a saint because you've been smeared with the oil. Don't call yourself unholy. Don't call yourself a sinner. Oh, no, 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 no. You are holy by the stamp of the Holy Spirit on your life, by God's approval on you because God has smeared his oil on you. He said, You're mine. So cool, I'm just a sinner, I'm just such a rotten, wicked sinner, just saved by grace. Get it rid of your fast humility. And recognize that God has put his oil on you and made and consecrated you and made you holy for him. You belong to him. You are for his purposes. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. Let's talk about oil. I think we got some pictures. Thank God that we got this fixed, or we will be in trouble this morning. Um I got a couple of pictures uh, for you guys now. The first thing about oil is oil is produced by process. Did I say produced by process. So you don't you you don't go to a, an, an olive oil tree, do you? But we got some some pictures. We got a picture of an olive tree there. That's an olive. This is an olive orchard actually. And uh, so someone intentionally placed these olive trees there. And so in order to get an olive from that tree, what they would do in scripture is they would actually hit the branches on a tree with like a stick or something. And as they hit it, it shook the tree and the olives fell because those were the olives that were ready. And so they didn't want to like come and rake them off and, and bruise them and damage. They probably do that now. But in those days, it was... It was It was such a commodity that they took special care of this olive. And so one of the reasons why olives are so precious is because because olives are made up of about 30% oil. They're one of the most oil-bearing fruits in the world. Actually, an olive is a fruit, not a vegetable. It doesn't taste like a fruit, right? It's only good like on pizza and stuff. I would have been pickled or something, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And so some of y'all might like fresh olives, but fresh olives are really hard. And so the next thing they do is after they harvest these Olives, and they wash the olives. They put them in, in scripture, they would put them in something that looks like this. This is this is would be called an olive press. There's actually two kinds of olive presses and this would be the first crushing of the olive olive. So that what they do is they bring these olives and they would drop them in this little thing and they would have like a donkey or a human and they would walk around this thing until it broke the olives. Because the olives were very stiff and they weren't hard. They weren't like the ones that were that are soft like on your pizza, right? Or in your salad of the olive garden, right? You guys know I was talking about those big old those are actually pretty good olives. I actually like those. Um, so but but they don't come like that. They don't come off the tree like that. They've got to be refined and, and stuff like that. So they're very stiff. They bring they bring them into the sink and they'll begin to crush these olives. Now, after they do that, it kind of makes like a paste. And then what they do is is they would get this other other olive press. We got a picture of that. And so what they would do. Is they would have these like discs of burlap or hemp or something like that, and they begin to wipe that paste on these um, baskets. I mean, sometimes they wear baskets and they just put them in these baskets, they'd fold the baskets over, and they would stack these baskets on one another all the way up, and then they would put weight on it, like you would see here on the left with the rocks. And as they began to put, a, put the weight, On those, over time, the oil would begin to ooze out of this paste, and they were collected at the bottom, and that's where the best oil was taken from. All of that pressure would would create, or I'm sorry, extract the oil uh, from these olives. So this is the process that oil took. Now, Jesus was the man who was crushed, Right? He was broken for us. And, uh, you know, in Matthew 24 and in Matthew 26, we see these, this story about Jesus being on the Mount of Olives. Right? So this, is, this, this mountain was known. For, in fact, they called it the Mount of Olives. This is the place where olives are harvested. So every season, this is probably a beautiful place because Jesus spent a lot of time there. we see in Matthew uh, 24, he told his disciples, he said, listen, he's like, this is about to happen this week. They're going to kill me, all this kind of stuff. They were freaking out. No, Jesus, no. And then we see in Matthew 26 that Jesus was praying at the Mount of Olives, right? And a garden called Gethsemane. Now, so they had the mountain that had all the olive trees, and then there was a garden inside called Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane means the olive press. So when Jesus was praying to the Father, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When he was praying and the intensity was coming out of him, and, and we know that he began to, to, to sweat great drops of blood as he was praying and said, Lord, this is hard, this is difficult. Jesus was being pressed. At that moment, in Gethsemane, in the olive press, Jesus was being crushed. He was being prepared in those moments for what was about to happen because oil was being extracted from this man. And as he was crushed, he wasn't getting the oil for himself because he already had the oil. But he was squeezing the oil out of himself for us so we could have the oil. It wasn't done for him. He already had the oil. He was getting the oil for us. But the crushing must have happened. He was crushed so I could have the oil. Now the priests, when they were anointed... What would happen, the only part of their their physical skin that the oil could touch was their head, their face. And we see this in uh, Psalm chapter 133 where it says that, you know, Talks about unity and says it's oil being poured down Aaron down his beard down his robe. So what happened is the priest would come in and they'd be anointed, or or a prophet would be anointed, and they would pour this oil. It wasn't like they had a a line at a gathering and they were like, okay, let's all get together and let's all get in a line and let's get anointed with oil. And they smeared a little oil on their forehead and then you know with the shape of a cross. Which it's weird that people do that sometimes. They're like, here, let me make the sign of a cross. It's just kind of kind of make something that that's already a little bit weird, even weirder. And so, not that we're scared of weird things, because, you know, it's supernatural. And so, what would happen is the priest or the prophet would stand there, and they would pour oil on them. It wasn't like, again, it wasn't like, oh, bless you. Right? It was like, Phew. They would pour this oil, this precious oil, very costly. Oil was very costly in the culture, and they would pour it on this man. And as they began to pour it on the servant of God, whether it be a priest or prophet, it would begin to pour down their face, down their beard, onto their robe. Now, for me, I wouldn't have had a beard, probably, what it might have a few scragglers, and it would just pour down my face onto my robe. Listen, <laughs> like four hairs. They're really long because we didn't have razors. And so, when I believe that this is speaking that the anointing always flows from the head. Jesus is the head of his church. We are the body. We are the body of Christ. So when God pours his oil on us, it comes through Jesus, the one who was crushed for us. So there is a process for the anointing. There is a process for the oil. Are you guys with me? Aren't you glad that Jesus paid the price? Listen to this. You don't have, I've been told this, I was told this, you have to pay the price for the anointing. Have you ever been told that? You got to pay the price for the anointing, right? I've had people tell me that. I've probably said that a couple of times. If you want the anointing, you got to pay the price. Listen, Jesus already paid the price for the anointing. You just got to line up. We're not talking semantics, we're calling paradigm shifts. You don't get holy enough to to get the anointing. We'll talk about that in just a minute. You just line up. You just get where you need to be, and the the oil is there. The second thing about the oil is that it was applied for a purpose. Everybody say applied for a purpose. So it's produced by a process. It's applied for a purpose. Listen, the, the word anoint... In the Old Testament, here goes my, uh, I told you you guys a few weeks ago that I'm quadrilingual. I speak English, kind of. Spanish a a lot less than that. And then a little bit of Hebrew and Greek whenever I have a lexicon in front of me. So the Hebrew word is mashach. You like that? Mashach, because that's how a good Hebrew boy would say it. And then the word in Greek is krio or cryo which means, they both mean the same thing, to smear or rub with oil. So the word anoint means to smear, right? So if you had a food fight and someone smeared ketchup all over your face, they anointed you with ketchup, right? You guess all right? right? To smear or rub with oil by implication to consecrate for office or religious service. Listen, when something was anointed, it was anointed for a reason. It wasn't just anointed so someone could have goosebumps. It was anointed because there there was this, this person or this thing in the tabernacle, this object, whether it be human or non human, was being anointed for a purpose. It was set apart. It was saying, This is reserved for this and this alone. So when God anointed you with the Holy Spirit, you're anointed for a purpose. Now, listen, Christ, the name Christ means the anointed one. That's where we get that word, krio, krio, in the Greek. Jesus is the anointed one. However, we are Christians. He is the anointed one, capital O. We are the anointed ones, lowercase o, right? So because we follow Jesus, we have also had this smearing on our lives For a purpose. God called you for a purpose. Now, we see this Luke chapter 4 says this. This is when Jesus, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. Interesting that Jesus goes back to his roots to tell people what he's here for. This is why I was born. This is where I was born. and I'm about to show you why I was born. He went as usual, which tells us he went there often to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him now I, I don't according to this uh reference here, I'm not sure that if Jesus asked for it or if this is just the one that they handed him, but it says he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, Isaiah, The spirit of the Lord is upon me. the spirit of the Lord has been." smeared on me. I am anointed for he has anointed me. Are you with me? To bring good news to the poor. Now what's good news to a poor person? (laughs) Right? Right? Now understand that poor is not a, 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 is not an economical status. Poor is a mentality. I know people that have made a lot more money than I'll ever make, that are a lot more poor than I am. Richness is measured in generosity. Not how much money's in your bank account. All right. So he sent me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Those that are in bondage would be free. That the blind would see. I believe that this is spiritual blindness and physical blindness. That the oppressed, some of you are dealing with oppressions. By oppressions, we can mean depressions. We can mean issues that oppress you, things, struggles that you have in your life. Come on, are you with me? Psychological issues, things that oppress you, things that weigh you down, things that control you or would tend to control you will be set free. At that time, the Lord's, of the, the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now, I love this because when God sits down, it means that's all I got to say about that. Right? That's, what it, that's why it says after God created the heavens and the earth, on the seventh day, he rested. When Jesus ascended, it said he sat down. His work was finished. His work was finished, yours isn't. He, our work started when his work finished. Right? You don't work for salvation, you work from it. Okay? So he rolls up the scroll and sits down. And I mean, they're like, it says this. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Did he just do that? Did he just pull the Messiah card? Right? What is he saying? Then he spoke up and he said, the scriptures you have heard, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled today, this very day. I love Acts 10.38, one of my favorite portions of scripture. It says, and you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. How many know that Jesus Everything that Jesus did on the earth, he functioned as a human filled with the spirit of God. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't live as God. Are you with me? He died as God, but he didn't live as God. He lived as a man filled with the spirit of God. Jesus is saying, I am the prototype of what men can do. Are you guys with me? So it says in, uh, I believe it's Philippians, it says he laid down the rights of being God and came and did in human form. This is why Jesus needed food, he was hungry, these type of things. But God anointed Jesus, the Father anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And so he went around doing good in healing all those that are oppressed by the devil. Now, let's talk about the anointing a minute, okay, because we read that word and we, we hit on this a minute a little bit, like we kind of have this word that we use like when we sense God, Right. When we when all of a sudden something physically is triggered off and we're like, oh, God is here a lot of times. And I, I, not so much like it was maybe 20 years ago, but people are like, oh, I just felt the anointing. We, we were in a meeting one time, uh, a, a youth conference, and we were sitting at the back, not because we're rebellious. We actually really like being at the front but because it was full, filled up and there was some ladies sitting in front of us. And we overheard their conversation. I want to get up front where the anointing is. And I was like, what does that mean? It's like the anointing's up at the front. The Holy Spirit's up at the front doing stuff, but he's not doing stuff at the back. I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. Or someone starts singing, and they're like, oh, they're so anointed. Can I tell you today that so are you? So are you. You're just as anointed as, insert favorite worship leader. Oh, Carrie Job is so anointed. I agree, but so are you. So anointed. It's not a comparison. So what we do is, oh, they're, so, they're more anointed. I I, see, I used to have these conversations when I was, you know, when I first got saved, they're more anointed than so-and-so because I experience something when they say something. So I know because I feel it. Well, I don't feel it. Well, then you're not anointed. Just me. I'm the only anointed one, right, besides Jesus, of course. Sinners saved by grace. Listen, and this whole thing of, like, well, you just need to – Listen, the anointing isn't something that comes and goes. Oh, I felt the anointing come on me. There might be like God's favor. You might experience grace for a moment, something like that. But the anointing is not something that comes and goes. It's a residing of the spirit of God inside of you. So it says in Romans eleven twenty nine: 29, for God's gifts and callings are irrevocable, or God's gifts and callings can never be withdrawn. Why does it say that? Because God has anointed you and set you apart for a purpose. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that this is why you have preachers that are living in sin and they still have the anointing or what we call the anointing because God's gifts can't be withdrawn. The problem is is when we start using the anointing for our flesh to make money, right? We've all heard the stories. I know you you and I, we're not those people. Their sin's just more public than yours. Right? And I understand. If you have a platform, you should you should be a little bit more careful. But listen, God's purpose is for your life. His anointing doesn't come and go. It's always there. You just got to say yes to it. Okay. So Jesus is, again, the anointed one. We are the anointed ones. What does that tell us? That tells us that our purpose on the earth is the same as Jesus's. Now, hold on just a second because I know you're, whoa, my purpose isn't the same as Jesus. Hold on. Generally... We are all called to dominion on the earth, God's dominion, his kingdom. We are all called to that. We are all anointed to advance God's kingdom. All of us. The specifics are different. Like Jesus, okay? Jesus was anointed the Messiah, right? He was to die for humanity, right? To establish the prototype. The specifics are different. So you've got the the anointing, which is God's mandate on the earth? Kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have the keys of the kingdom. I'm unlocking those kind of things. The anointing is general. However, there's an unanointing that is specific. Leslie's an anointed worship leader, just as anointed as Carrie Job, right? But we're not comparing. We're not. Uh, we're not comparing. She's doing what she's called to do. Somebody else is doing what they're called to do, and God is kissing it, right? So God, God kisses whatever He's put in your heart to do for the kingdom. So the specifics are different according to your giftings. And don't think because you're not born that way doesn't mean you're not called to it. Because 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 we like to do that. Like we like to give ourselves. I'm just that way. God God created me that way to do this. I think God gets a lot more glory when you're not good at it and God calls you to do it and you get really good at it. Go <laughs> on, that's fit, called favor. Come on, all right. So this is what Jesus said. He said, anyone who will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Again, we will do some of the same things that Jesus has done. Why? Because we, have this, we carry the same anointing, the same spirit that was smeared on Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, the same spirit that was upon Jesus to lay hands on the sick and recover, the same thing that the disciples did. We will do the same things that Jesus did, even greater. There's more of us. Romans 8, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So that same Spirit that was in Jesus on the earth is in you. You have, in in the general sense, specifically different, but the anointing on you is the anointing that was on Jesus. The same anointing. It's just getting under the headship. Are you all right today? I know it's intense. Intense is good. And then you have, you know, Jesus wasn't like worship leader, right? I mean, he was, but like not really. Not in 2014. You might be. Jesus wasn't youth minister 2014. You are, right? So those are your specifics. But the mandate is unchanged. Expand the kingdom. Same anointing. Everybody alright? All right. Number three. The anointing, the oil is releases us to be postured in holiness. Listen, one of the things that we see, and we'll hit on it just again. We, we hit on in a moment, is that it could not get on their flesh. Why? Because in those days their flesh was unholy. Just like before you came to Jesus, you were unholy. So the only thing it could get on, besides their head, was Their clothes, because their clothes had already been anointed. So the only thing the oil could get on were things that were holy. Well, they weren't holy. That's why they had to do all this religious stuff in order to go in before God. They weren't holy. Their hearts were still wicked. However, under the new covenant, prophesied in Joel chapter 28, revealed in Acts chapter 2, it says the Spirit of God will fall upon all flesh. So in the old covenant, the anointing couldn't get on your flesh because you were unholy. Under the new covenant, you were made holy. The anointing doesn't come from you being holy, it makes you holy. So we, we we've got this doctrine this is well, if you're more holy, you'll have more anointing. No, no, no. The, you're anointed to be holy. This is what you're anointed for to be holy. You're anointed by the Holy Spirit. So what do we need to do? What does that mean? What does anoint mean? To set apart, to be smeared with the Spirit, to be set apart. So are you to be holy? Yes. Are you to be different than the world? Yes. Should heathens hate you? Yes. They should also love you. The world will hate us and they will love us just like Jesus. If you're friends with sinners and you're not making a difference in your life, then you need to do exactly what 2 Corinthians 6 says, is to come from among them and be separate. You're anointed. You need to come and be different. You're anointed to be holy. So live accordingly. Live with the purposes of being set apart. Why don't you do those things? Because they're sin? No, it has nothing to do with sin. It's just I'm different. God called me. So I'm going to live different than everybody else. It's not a sin issue. It's a set-apart issue. People are going to accuse you and, oh, you're just so weird. Why don't you do that? Because I'm different. Because God anointed me and set me apart to be different. Because I'm not for normal purposes. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, again, 2 Corinthians 6 is talking about the conduct. He's like, oh, you need to behave yourself sexually, all this kind of stuff, because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then he says this in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Which translators probably should have left it at, the, at 2 Corinthians 6, the last chapter there. But it says this it says, Since we have these promises, what promises? The promises of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So the, listen, the anointing makes you holy. It's God's approval on your life that makes you holy. You're not holy because you're striving. Or because of your abstaining. You're holy because the Holy Spirit is on your life. Because the Spirit of God has been smeared on you. That's what makes you holy. So will you live like you're holy? Will you live set apart? Or will you be so consumed by the opinions of this age? We are so consumed. Well, we just want to be presentable. We want people to like us. So we'll soften up the gospel. We'll soften up the spirit. We'll kind of put God in a box and say, well, we don't want to tell them about this. Maybe that's what they need to know. They need to experience the power of God. Listen, we're not talking about, when we talk about holiness, that's automatically, we think, meanness. Bull. bull. That's, that's, That's garbage. It's not meanness. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Jesus is kind and humble and tender. There was hate in his heart for sin. He hated sin, but he was kind to the sinner. The reason why he hates the sin is because he loves the sinner. That's the reason why God hates sin. That's the reason why we should hate it too. But let us first hate it in our own lives. Instead of love it and cherish it and hide it so nobody knows. And it just stay in a little closet somewhere and you don't ever get any accountability for it. No relationship. You just keep it concealed and you never get free from it because you don't have the brotherhood. Folks, we've got to get back to this thing called community because the Holy Spirit in you is just as much the Holy Spirit in me. And if we can't be real with our issues, then we are going to deal with these issues on our own. The anointing was available for specific people, now it's available for all people. All people, sons and daughters will prophesy, all flesh, all flesh. It started in the book of Acts, and, it, and if that was it said in the last days, then that's when the last days began in the book of Acts. So we're living, and we think days means like num- numerical days—three hundred and thousand, four hundred and fifty-four days. No, no, no. Day- think of days as ages, right? So we're in the final age right now—the same age that the disciples were in. We're in that age. Some people said, "No, no, no, no." That age passed away when the Bible was written. Well, that's stupid. So someone, wrote a, someone compiled all these things that they taught, and so that age is over. When did God say that age was over? The age will be over when Jesus returns for his bride, who has made herself ready, who has stood in her anointing to be holy. All right, so postured in holiness. Number one, this all right today. Produced by process. Number two, applied for purpose. And number three, postured in holiness. Number four, primed by pressure. See, we tend to think that everything has just got to be worked out and everything's got to be easy in order, me to, in order for me to function with the oil. But the reality is, as we've seen, when the, when the olive oils were pressured, when the, olive, uh, when the olives were pressured, that's when the oil began to flow. Can I tell you today, the pressure primes you. Part of the reason why the disciples were so effective is this, is there was so much pressure. That's why they all died by martyrdom except for John, and they tried to kill him, but they couldn't. They boiled him in oil, deep fried him, tried to deep fry him, right? <laughs> they did. So they exiled him to Patmos. That was a mistake. <laughs> mistake number two, <laughs> sending him to Patmos, Right? And then he gets gets the revelation of Jesus now. It's not Jesus at the end of the age. It's who Jesus is now. In fact, the the book of Revelation, let me just give this to you. This is free today. The book of Revelation isn't the revelation of the end times or the revelation of the Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus. That's what it says. This is the revelation of Jesus. (laughs) First. Okay. So Jesus paid the price. Listen, the anointing is yours. It's not earned. We've talked about that. However, I've noticed in my life when the pressure is on, something's released. Are you with me? So when the pressure is on, something is released. It's our opportunity to crumble when the pressure is on or to release oil. It's really up to us. Pressure does not minimize our functionality. It maximizes it. We pray like this, Lord, would you just take it away? Would it go away? Would it go away? And it's just like Jesus. He's like, no, it's not going to go away. It's going to produce oil. And it's got to be crushed. It's got to be pressed. It's got to be out. And the only way it's getting out is if you've got the pressure on. I mean, you know, when the pressure's on, that's when what's inside comes out. You know how it is like when you get in a fight with somebody, like a verbal fight, not a fist fight. Fist fight, I guess things come out too. But... You get in a verbal battle, and all the anger that you've been having towards that person comes out? Why? Because it was already on the inside. The pressure brought it forth. Would we be a broken people that would allow the oil to flow out of our lives instead of being so calloused to, so people will just think that we've got it all figured out? Would we be humble ourselves and just say, God, I'll be broken and, and pressured just so you can flow through me? We've got to be vulnerable. Listen, you are a well-oiled machine. You don't have to allow any longer your pride, your insecurities, your frustrations to dominate God's flow in your life. You just allow God to flow out of you, overflow. The pressure's on the child of God. I love it how we just see this in the disciples. They're getting killed, and they're just like, okay, okay. I believe it was Andrew that, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it said that whenever he was to be crucified that he saw the cross and he said, oh, I longed for this day. It said he was delirious with joy and he saw the cross and he said, I've longed for the day that I could die like Jesus died for me. When the pressure's on, would the oil ooze out of our lives? First John, we see, I'm closing with this. If I get some music to bring the anointing, that'd be great. <laughs> I brought this oil today. I'm not gonna pour it on you. I might. All the way down your beard. First John says this. Now understand that the first John is dealing a lot with false uh teachers. All this kind of stuff's going around. And so there's a lot of pressure on the church. And uh, so he says this. He says, listen, I know that it's difficult. I know that, like, the pressure is on, but you were made for this. This is what he says. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Again, the pressure was on. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you talking about these false... You don't need them to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about all things. Remember, Jesus said the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has been taught to you, remain in him.